Welcome to our bonus podcast, everyone. Uh, I'm glad to welcome my special lineup for this episode, Mr. Eric McCollum and Shane Larkin. So, hello, gentlemen. How are you? Crazy day for you, Shane, right? Yeah, crazy day for me, man. Crazy day, but uh, glad that I could finally get on here, uh, you know, talk up with you guys. So, glad to be here. Yes, we appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. You know, I'm still a little salty about how y'all did it <laughs> in, the, in the finals, but, you know, I'm a good sport. You know, welcome y'all. Y'all beat us fair and square, man. <laughs> it was definitely a tough matchup for sure. Tough matchup, but I'm glad we could get that one. So, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of connections on this podcast. You see Galatasaray jersey on Eric's back. He played for Ergin Ataman. Now former coach of Shane Larkin, those two guys played cool. each other in the Turkish League finals. So a lot of things in common, a lot of things to discuss tonight, to be honest. We have like Nikola Mirotic, one foot in Partizan Belgrade, where Kevin Punter remains. We have Kostas Slukas moving to Panathinaikos. We have Zvezda signing Shabazz Napier, Facundo Campasso returning to Madrid, Vili Hernan Gomez coming to Barca and a lot of movement the last couple of weeks uh, that we will discuss in this episode. But Shane, I have a question for you first. How do you feel watching all these off-season moves and how do you feel about your team in this yearly off-season picture? Um, well, I could say probably since I've been in the EuroLeague, this is probably the most turnaround I've seen in a season um, from year to year in terms of where guys are going and how different the league is going to look next year. Um, so it's exciting times. Um, obviously, a lot of key players have left, gone new places, changed jerseys. Um, so I think it'll be an exciting season. Um, coaches on the move. So, um, I mean, we'll see how it all plays out. But I think it's good for the league. I think, you know, being able to see different people in different places and bring different opportunities to those different clubs in different countries is going to be good for the league. And um, for our team, you know, we've kind of been set in stone for five years. And um, obviously with Coach leaving now Vasa leaving um, and a couple of our other guys who have been around for the last couple of years, it's definitely going to be new for us. But, um, you know, I think we signed a great player uh, in Darius. Um, and obviously the other guys that we signed are obviously great players as well. But I think the biggest thing for us was to be able to replace Vasa, obviously. And um, I think if there was a guy out there on the market that we could have gotten, I think he was the best option. And um I've been a big fan of his. Um, actually, since we saw them play, uh, we played against him actually in Antalya. Uh, I think he was a local at that time. And, um, you know, I saw saw that he had the talent to be, you know, in the EuroLeague. And obviously, he's done a great job getting here. I'm so excited to see what that looks like. Obviously, Tyreek Jones. And I can go through all the guys on the roster now. But, um, you know, I'm excited to see what those guys can bring to our team and what, you know, kind of differences that creates for Ethos. And, um you know, see how, how this whole thing comes together. New coach, obviously, I've talking to him a lot over the last couple of weeks, which is different for me uh, to have that kind of <laughs> relationship with the coach talking about roster and, you know, system and different things like that. It's a different approach as opposed to what, you know, Coach Ottoman has kind of implemented over the last five years. So um, I'm excited. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age as well. I'm about to be 31 this season. So uh, we'll see how it all goes. Hey, don't worry. Players over 30, they get paid a lot in your league, so oh, well, you should be fine. Especially this summer. <laughs> 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 especially this summer. So. 
I hope they keep doing it. I love to see the old guys get yeah. hey, hang on as long as you can, Shane. Hang on. Hey, I feel you, dog. <laughs> as a small guard, you know how that is, though. So. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we have a BN Plus platform where fans all over the world can become our subscribers on basketnews.com slash plus to get more exclusive content. And one of the features includes a possibility to make questions to our guests. So I'll deliver a question from Adrian Avgener, uh, who has a question about Darius Thompson. So Shane, how your game might change after spending four years with Vasa and now when you're about to play with Darius Thompson, who has a different game than Vasa? Um, I mean, that's difficult to say without being on the floor with them and seeing what kind of system we're going to have. You know, if Coach Ottoman was still around, um, you know, I would probably be able to put it together more on my mind of how I'm going to try to make it work. But obviously, Coach is going to, Coach Adam John is going to bring in a new system and have his own strategies and things that he wants to do. Um, but from what I could tell, he just played with a, a guy that's, you know, very similar to me in, in ways, uh, Marcus Howard in Basconia. And they were able to sh share the floor together. And, um, you know, I think he led the EuroLeague in assists this year. So, you know, a guy who likes to play at a high pace, high tempo, which, you know, I'm very accustomed to doing. Um, and I think the the transition is going to be seamless. Obviously, Voss is a different size, different kind of player in the way that he goes about, you know, his business on the court. But I think Darius has a lot of similarities in terms of how he wants to play, pick and roll, um, pass the ball off the floor, um, play with pace, transition, offense. And, um, you know, as talking to the coach, he also wants to kind of play that way. So I think it's going to be a seamless fit. I don't think he's a selfish guy at all. I think he's a team first guy. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to see how it all fits and, and works together. Yeah, I think you'll love playing with him. Um, just from some of the stuff like I had as a bad court mate with him. You know, I think he's going to free you up to be the, the scorer that you are. You will always score yeah. throughout your career. But I think you was trying to balance it. Uh, playmaking duties and scoring duties, you know, basically because I had so many scores, so many, you know, guys that could get busy. I think with Darius, you're going to be able to play um, as a scorer. You're going to be able to not have to worry about setting up as much because this is, like, he's a true point guard. Um, Basel right. is a great point guard, but he's a scoring point. So I think right. um, Darius will set y'all up more. Y'all probably will play better in transition because he's really fast with the ball. You're fast with the ball. Will's really good in transition. Y'all might get up and down more based on how he did things at Telecom as a coach. Um, a lot of middle pick and roll. He likes those elbow, the elbow ball screens where you're getting the ball and you're getting middle pick and rolls from those elbow extended areas, usually far out. Um, especially if Tyree Jones is rolling to get that lob threat. I imagine he'll right. put a strong shooter on the on the wing side. He usually would have Cecina, who was the four man shooter. Right. Um, maybe he'll have um the new four man you guys signed, or you know, another person in that corner who can really keep his spacing, but I'm, I'm curious to see. I think it's going to be special. I think y'all always had the pieces, always had the talent. I always think a team that, that's been together for a long time needs a new injection of youth mixed with the right. experience because youth is excited. They want to learn. This is their first time there. So right. days when maybe the older guys are feeling a little, <clears throat> the younger guys give me life, you know, as a 35-year-old. So, so Definitely. I think that that balance will take y'all to another level. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, how the season plays out. Yeah, I think everything you said is exactly right. Um, he likes to play fast. And like you said, trying to balance with another guy who's kind of a combo with Vasa, trying to score and assist and get everybody involved. I think now with Darius, I'll be able to focus more solely on scoring, which, 
you know, I try to play the game the right way all the time. So I won't go out there and say I'm going to lead the league in, in shot attempts at all. But, you know, just being able to play up and down, play fast and, um, you know, play with more of a true point guard, um, I think definitely is going to free me up, as you said. So uh, I'm excited and um, ready to see how it all, all works out. What What was your impression of new coach Adem John and how he going to change the FS team? And what did you take from those conversations? Um, you know, I think he has a, you know, he was with Obradovich for a long time. Um, and obviously he spent some time in the league. So I think he, he has a, Adamon was a very old school coach um, in terms of like, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And, you know, there's going to be some disagreements, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stick to what I know. And, you know, you, the guys had success, so you can't really blame them. Um, I think the difference with Adam John is that he's trying to figure out exactly who he is as a head coach. I think he, he has his ideas and his principles as to what he wants to implement, but I think he's more open to, you know, talking to his players, communicating with his players and seeing how they feel on the court and what's working for them and just having more of a partnership. He always talks about having a partnership, like I'm on the team with you guys. I'm not sitting at the top, pointing down, telling all you guys what you have to do. Uh, he says he's in the locker room with us. He's he's a teammate and he wants it to feel that way. He wants it to feel like everybody can have open conversations with him. And, um, you know, he's going to be demanding. Um, but, you know, any new coach coming into a situation like this where, You know, I don't think anybody has the idea uh, outside of Ephesus that, you know, we're chasing titles. I don't think he's coming in here with any different kind of idea. Um, so I think that that'll be the biggest difference between um, Ottoman and, and him is just I think Coach Ottoman is more set in his ways and what he likes and what he likes to do and what he believes in. And I think uh, Adam John is more open to different ideas and trying to see exactly how it's going to fit with this team and how he wants to make it work. And um being able to adapt and, and make changes along the way. And by the way, Shane, just to wrap up this incredible era that you had with FS, with Ataman, with Vasa, there was this question by BN Plus member Dargo. He wanted to hear what was the difference in FS last year and their championship years? How do you see that situation um, right now? You know, I'm not a guy who's big on excuses, um, so I'm not going to sit here and try to blame you know, a, a bunch of outside factors that kind of got in the way. Um, I just don't think we had enough time with that group that we had this past year to um, kind of mesh and gel and figure out exactly how it all would have worked together on the court. Obviously, when you add somebody of, of Will's caliber, a guy who can lead the league in scoring, who can play with the ball, play without the ball, play in the post, um, I think we never really just had the time to, to kind of put it all together. You know, I missed – you know, the first 17 games of the year with my hand. And then I came back for a couple of games and Vasa was out for, you know, three, four weeks with his knee. Um, so, you know, I just don't think we had that continuity that we needed in order to kind of figure it out, figure it out during the regular season. And, um, you know, towards the end of the season, we got much better. And I think into the Turkish playoffs, it kind of did start to click in the ways that it needed to. And I think we finished the season really strong. Um And now, obviously, Avasa has taken a, a great opportunity to go to the NBA and you know chase that dream. So, um, you know, things start over. But um, I think if we were able to keep that group together for another year, going into a season of us knowing each other, knowing how we could play off of each other on the court, off the court, being friends, um, I think we would have had much more success in the second year than the first. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that we won't be able to do that. But at the same time, I'm extremely happy for Vasa and proud of him that he's been able to make that jump and take that challenge on so um 
I think that was just the biggest thing. You know, the last five years, we kind of had the same guys doing the same thing. Everybody knew their roles. And I think this year, it was just kind of everybody did know what their roles were, but it was just kind of like it wasn't as strong or as together as it needed to be. And um, I think that was where our, our fallouts came from. To be honest, we expressed our concerns over Vasa's fit in OKC with Eric in the previous pod with Kevin Punter. What was your advice to Vasa heading to the NBA or what would be your advice for Vasa? Because I know that you guys probably spoke uh, about this NBA fit together throughout these years. He was really, he wanted to hear your opinion since you've been there. So yeah. what were the main points? What did you try to, you know, uh, aware of him, uh, aware him before this move? Um, well, I just told him uh, kind of things that I felt based on my experience with the NBA, uh, with him going there. He was asking me just questions about how should he be, how should he play, what should his mindset be. And I told him, you have to go there with the same exact mindset as you do have here in, in Ephesus. Like, you got to go there with the idea to be aggressive every time you catch the ball. Don't take a possession off. And defensively, you just have to show yourself and show that you're able to switch and guard your yard and, you know, be able to rotate and do all the things that they're going to ask them defensively. But um, offensively, I just told them to, to be you. I think that anybody who's kind of been in both situations will understand that he's going to have a different role over there in the NBA, but it can't change who he is as a player. And that's probably one of the things that I told him my biggest regret was that when I went to the NBA, I kind of thought like, oh, now I'm playing with, you know, Vince Carter, Sean Marion, Dirk Nowinski. Like, I got I to gotta get them the ball and kind of get out the way. Like, they're the all-stars. They're the superstars. They've been in the league for these 12, 15, 20 years. And, you know, I'm just this 20-year-old rookie coming out, first, second year, third year, playing with guys in Dallas and New York and Brooklyn. And I never really felt like I took advantage of the opportunity to just be me. And, um That's what I told him he doesn't want to feel. You don't want to feel like you didn't go over there and try to be yourself. You don't want to go over there and be like, oh, now I'm boss of the past per first point guard who's just going to not be aggressive and take my side step threes or whatever the case is. You have to go out there and be you because if you're not going to do that, you're, you're going to regret it at the end of the day. So that's kind of just been my advice to him is just be yourself, be true to who you are. And what's the worst that can happen? Like uh, you come back to Europe and you're the highest paid guy and you're going to whatever team you want to go to like what's the worst case so just go out there be yourself play hard be you and kind of see how it goes good advice yeah interesting new chapter coming up both for us and a new look fs team but let's talk about the yearly picture that i mentioned uh, at the start of the podcast so i just want to hear your first reaction to Sluka's transfer bomb from Olympiakos to Panathinaikos? Um, I mean, uh, initial reaction is speechless. Forget the money, forget whatever the years, forget all of that. It's just uh, what he's represented to that club, you know, after he left years ago, went to Finner, to go back and then to be in the Final Four with them and take them back to that place where, you know, they had been accustomed to being, then to, you know, make that kind of jump and go across the basically across the street <laughs> the team was just like uh was super surprising to me i did not see that happening um i i personally thought he was going to go back to finner i thought that was going to happen if he were to leave olympiacos um especially with the tutors being there um but 
Yeah, I was I was speechless. And, you know, congrats to him. And if that's something that he wants to have to deal with on a daily basis, living there, um, <laughs> good luck. Uh, and I hope <laughs> he has a lot of success this season. But it's, <laughs> hey, man, I've seen those. I haven't even lived there. I haven't been part of that, like, rivalry. But you can just see it from the outside, like, the passion, the the how much it means. Even if, like, let's just say Panathinaikos hasn't been that great in the EuroLeague the last couple of years. But when they play, it's regardless, it's electric in there. And, you know, for him to be like one of the main cogs of Olympiacos the last few years and his whole, you know, career with the ties that he's had to Olympiacos to make that jump at this stage of his career after, you know, the way they lost in the championship this year, it's just like a lot of things that I was just like, that was that was a ballsy move right there. And um, kudos to him and all respect to him as a player and as a person. I have no problems with him at all, but I think that was just a very out there move. And um, if he's ready for that, then, you know, the best of luck to him. And I hope everything goes well. Yeah, for me, um, there was like three things that stuck out. I always try to look at things as a player and then – you know, as a GM or as the team. So as a player, just with the rivalry, like you mentioned, um, the hostility, the things going through, I'm thinking like, not only my player, I'm a father. I have two right. kids. You know, <laughs> right. There's certain things that I don't want my family, and my kids to have to deal with. And that was one of the reasons why I thought maybe he wouldn't go to Panathinaikos Penith- uh, just because that day-to-day hostility that he would right. receive, that his family received. And, you know, you almost feel, I played in Greece. Um, you know, sometimes when things get going between that rivalry, you almost feel unsafe. And, right. Um, <laughs> right. and then another thing that gave me pause was his age. I figured at 31, I mean, at 33 years old, um, you know, he would think I spent so many years in my youth at Olympiacos all this time. I'm probably not going to leave um, just because we had success. We're right there. We're, we're inching closer right. and closer to that title. Um, but then, the other part of me was the minutes, how Bordrokas does things. Um, he does an excellent sure. job, but I don't think no player wants to play 10 minutes in a row and right. then sit out 10 minutes in a row and then play 10 minutes in the third and then sit out the fourth. Like, there was times throughout the game where he, for sure, was an excellent coach, did great, but sometimes guys are hot or in a flow and he'll sum yeah. them out and continue with that same rotation regardless of what's yeah. happening in the game, man. That's something that could be really frustrating, you know, when you're rolling. Um, you know, we saw it with Isaiah Cannon when he was hot against Madrid. I feel like maybe he should have on the court more. He was dominating right. the game. He was out in crucial moments. These are things that were happening throughout Salukas throughout the year, and he's feeling like I'm the captain. I'm probably now the face of the team. There's probably a certain level of disrespect. So then yeah. the next thing is the money. Like the money is it's big, and it takes you three years guaranteed, and it's the biggest for the Greek uh, players that we've ever seen it was basket news reported it. So, um, uh, <laughs> I think, I think that's something that, you know, it's hard to say no to. Um, right. and if I, but if I think on the Olympiaco side, I think about, uh, Spanulis, great player, a legend, right? When you held on to him too long at the end, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but Olympiacos was a shell of themselves. They were unable to get yeah. to the playoffs. They could not play well. They almost didn't care about playing in the Greek league, just playing one game a week to kind of preserve his body, um, yeah. doing all this thing. They saw Spanulis age, and they saw the guy whose game start to drop. But 
his mindset stayed the same. I want the ball. I want you to play right. it through me. I want these minutes. And I think they were avoiding a situation where you see Salukas start to age. I'm not saying he's going to age. I'm not saying he's not going to be at the same level. I don't know. You know, only he knows how he prepares and God willing how, how um, his body progresses these next years. But in, in my experience, I would say with a guy who's getting older, maybe a two-year deal after that, it should be year-by-year year basis when you hit 35 years old because you never know what can happen. Um, and it's just how I would approach it. And so I, I understood where Olympiacos was coming from. I'm 35 years old. You know, if I continue, I know the rest of my career, I'll be on one-year deals, and I'm okay yeah. with that. And so just thinking from that perspective, he has to have some type of understanding that they're not disrespecting you. They're they're trying to pres preserve the organization, and they seen what happened. And it took them three years to recover yeah. Um, yeah, and to true. finally tra transition the team. And I think they were avoiding that situation because that's what would have happened if you signed that three-year deal and you're right. still trying to run your offense through a 36-year-old at the year-lead level. Right. I agree. The only thing I would say about that is that, you know, the Bartzoka system, like, he, it kind of saves them. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you age that way – playing those minutes you know you're gonna play 10 minutes here you know you're gonna play 10 minutes there i think that helps you as you age because you can warm up you can do all these things where it's not like a kind of get in get out kind of situation so i mean i i understand exactly what you're saying about how olympiaco saw you know spanulis kind of towards the end of his career um so i mean it makes sense for for Slukas to make that that move if that's kind of what he wanted if he wanted the ball more if he wanted more responsibility he wanted to, you know, go get a big payday and, you know, try to bring Panathinaikos, you know, out of where they've been for the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. I feel you. He's going to have to carry them. And at that salary, it's not easy carrying a team. I mean, you know, Shane, he's going to have to lead he's every night. You know, 10 points ain't going to be enough. Four assists, it's not going to be enough. Not for $3 million. So he's going to really have to – he's not, not there. there. He's going to really not have there. to put his foot on the gas and lead him there. because at that price and leaving Olympiacos, he's going to be under immense pressure. I wish him the best. Yeah. I hope it's a, a good situation. I hope he's happy. But I know, like, I know what lies ahead for him, and I think he does too. Yeah, and I think – I mean – he grew up there. He knows that. So at the end of the day, I think he walking into the situation, understanding what he's walking into. I don't think if anybody understands this, he, he does. Um, so that's something that at this part of his career, he wanted to take on as a, as a challenge and, um, you know, wish, wish the guy the best of luck. So see how it goes. Yeah. It feels like it's a win-win situation for both sides, as you mentioned. And that's a good point about Spanulis legacy in the last years of his legacy, let's say, I didn't think about that for Olympiacos, maybe it's a good... Of course, they're not happy that he's going to their fierce rivals team. I mean, Panathinaikos, they would have be more happy if he was wearing Fenerbahce jersey at the moment. But yeah, maybe it was about to move on from him or just avoid this long-term uh, contract and relationship with uh, Slukas giving team in his hands. Speaking of uh, safety, I'm not sure if this information is correct, but let's say I've heard it from one solid Greek source that at least five bodyguards are around Sluka's house right now, which makes sense. And probably a cup of coffee or lunch somewhere, you know, in, 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 in the city center is something that he will be, he, he will have to wait for some time right now. In this <laughs> Smart, situation. Man. Smart man. Yeah. yeah. They'll be there yeah, for years. I wouldn't go anywhere without my bodyguards. For sure. <laughs> They, they'd yeah, be outside my kids' school. They'd be outside my kids' sure. school. 
for sure it just <laughs> it just took a lot of guts to take this decision for Slukas. a lot of can argue that okay crazy money were on the table but as you mentioned you also sacrifice a lot of things you put a lot of things in danger and probably only time will show who will came out uh, who will come out as a winner from this whole situation but there was this one particular moment where I really wanted to hear your opinion uh, because the main reason as you already also kind of mentioned it uh, and which was widely reported in Greece me Greek media uh, the main reason why Slukas left Olympiakos was the lack of connection with coach Bartsokas in the last months uh, of his tenure in Olympiakos lack of recognition to Slukas as a star player uh, regarding minutes uh, even public recognition or just you know meeting some needs of a star player of a team uh, and of course uh, Bartsokas didn't make a last phone call during the negotiations mm. between Olympiakos and Slukas something what Slukas wanted from his side so uh, from his side so uh, I just wanted to hear from you as also uh, let's say leaders of your teams uh, what relationship, what conditions you expect from your head coach when you're a leader of a team? Or what kind of communication would you expect from your head coach if you were in Sluka shoes? Um, Eric's had more coaches than me, so he can he can answer that one first. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think um, I just like honesty. Um, where you see me at, how you see me helping you, what's my role on the team, what do you need me to do? I'm 35 years old. I'm not a child. I don't need to be handheld. I don't need to be motivated. I can do all that on my own. I just need to know where you see me and the team and what you need me to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to handle that. Um, if you got a problem with me or something I do, come to me. Don't go to the media. Don't go behind my back. Don't do that. Like Just come to me. If I have a problem with something that you're doing, I think that communication can be very helpful. Um, if he is worried about a lack of connection with Barjokas. I can tell you this, he will have zero connection with Ottoman. He shows his love <laughs> through um, salary, <laughs> through giving you the ball, and through minutes. There will be zero yeah, connection, but that will be yeah. his love. You, That's his love language. So he loves 100%. him because 100%. he was behind that offer. He's going 100%. to put the ball in his hand, and he's going to get all the minutes he wants. So 100%. if you're looking for him to know about your family, about your day-to-day, -day, your life, uh, there will be zero of that. Um, yeah. But um, you just have to go in and understand that. I think um, he'll put him in position to succeed. I think he's actually a good player for Ottoman system. Heavy pick and roll, high usage. He'll play him 30 minutes a night. He has to stay healthy. If he can do that, he'll be extremely happy um, with the role reversal he had in Olympiacos. But yeah. um, I think that's just the biggest thing because a lot of teams aren't um, open with things. You know, If I feel like a player is not playing at that level, I'm okay with that. Come talk to me. Tell me. Eric, you're right. not doing what you need to do. This is what I need from you. And I think that makes the team better because if you can have that conversation with me and you could do that with me privately, you could do it with me in front of the team, then that allows you to be able to speak to anyone like that um, because right. they'll see that right. you're coming at Eric McCullum at that or Shane Larkin. Right. Dang, he talked to right. Shane about him needing to step up. I know I got to get my stuff together. And I think that's right. kind of where it all starts. And where you can build on that and you just have to know the type of character and person you're dealing with because everybody can't handle um, tough coaching but if you get the right if you're a leader of a team and if you're somebody who's supposed to be the focal point of the offense and the voice then you need to be okay with being coached hard so that you can also you know lift up your teammates and coach and lift and when the coach isn't paying attention or doing certain things you can go there and be there for him because the coach can only talk so much like eventually players tone him out you need a leader to step in and do that. That's why vets are important. 
Yeah, I, I agree with everything Eric said. Um, I think just having that open, open respect for each other of exactly what you expect from me. Uh, just tell me what you need me to do, how you want me to do it. And uh, I'm going to do my best to do that. Obviously, I think being a leader, your leash is going to be a little bit longer just because of who you are and what you represent to that team. Um, but as long as the coach can be honest with you about how he's feeling, about what you're doing and what he needs more of you or less of you, um, I think that kind of creates that, you know, a two-way street where you can go back and forth and form, form some kind of relationship that, um, you know, leaders or guys who are on teams that are, you know, more important um, would feel will feel comfortable about. And I don't know exactly what went on with that whole negotiation with uh, Lucas and Barzokas, but, um, you know, I think if they would have had that conversation, maybe it would have been better um, or maybe that the situation wouldn't have happened. But, um yeah, I think just having open communication and, and exactly what you expect from one another is, is what makes that transition seamless. Yeah, Shane, you were in kind of similar situation at the end of the season with FS in the EuroLeague. And there was, you know, this famous tweet about you uh, playing 20 minutes in the basically the most decisive yeah. game of the season, which decided the fate uh, of the missing EuroLeague playoffs for, for FS. I believe that you guys didn't talk the situation out with Coach Atman, <laughs> right? So, so how? Yeah. I mean, when you kind of feel there's a need of explanation or just conversation uh, to clear out the whole situation, you know, what to do having that kind of coach, that type of coach, who is basically you're speaking to 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 all, but you need answers as a player, you know, to calm yourself down, just just to feel confident for your position. How did you try it? To, to get out of that situation? How did you try to read that situation at the moment? Um, you know, that's always, Eric can tell you, and coach doesn't explain much to you of, about what he does. He does what he does and what he believes in is what he's going to do. And for whatever reason during that game, um, he felt like not having me on the floor was what he thought was going to give us the best chance to win. Um, so I think it just depends on who the coach is and, and what your relationship is. Like I said, Ottoman isn't the kind of guy that is going to come to you and explain to you why he did this. Often he may do it very randomly, one one off, but um, he's not the kind of coach that you're going to have that open dialogue with on a day to day basis as to what you're thinking of, how you're feeling, or what your body like. It'll be, you know, maximum forty five one minute conversations with him about how do you feel, how's your body, can you play, yeah, and and that'll be it. Or how do you feel? Do you want to come off the bench? Do you want to start? All right, I'm thinking this. Okay. It's like that. That's kind of like the, it's not no 10 minute, 15 com minute conversation about what you think and how we're going to approach this. It's not that. Um, and he has a style and he's had success with it. So, um, you know, me specifically in that game, like you said, it was probably the most important game of the season. And I felt like I was playing pretty decent. And for me to play 20 minutes in a game like that as one of the leaders that, you know, it's frustrating in that situation because we, I know if we don't make the playoffs, people are going to point fingers at me. People are going to point fingers at Will. People are going to point fingers at, at Vasa. So if that's the situation, I feel like those guys should kind of be on the floor. And in that situation, I wasn't. And I played whatever amount of minutes I played in that game. And it was just frustrating. And, you know, I never say anything on Twitter. I'm not a big social media guy. I don't do any of that. But at that point, when like it, it kind of hit set in stone that we weren't going to be in the playoffs. Um, at that moment, I was just like, all right, man, I, I got to say something because this just, 
it's just it doesn't make sense to me and i just want to see how if other people feel me on this so um that's kind of why i put it out there and um obviously the responses were whatever they were but um that's kind of just uh how i went about that process and and obviously you wake up the next day and it is what it is it sucks that you're not going to be in the playoffs but you just kind of got to move on and, and focus on the next opportunity no i i felt you i understood you for sure i think there's probably eight to ten guys um, in a year elite who I'm going to ride with them, whether they're playing great, whether they're playing bad, because they can impact the game so many ways. It might be scoring. It might be just them on the court demanding attention. I think yourself, Vasa, Will, uh, Mike James, Nikola Miritich, Kevin Punter, uh, Lorenzo Brown, those are some of the guys that Walter Tavares, no matter how bad they're playing, and no matter what's going with the game flow, if I sign them, I pay you guys. I'm not going to put your bread out there. You know, I'm not going to put all your money out there to embarrass y'all. Appreciate it. People, appreciate people back home, <laughs> I pay you guys a lot of money. I'm not going to um, not use you um, in the crust time. And I know sometimes, you know, players have off games or, you know, things aren't flowing. But there's so many things that those type of guys that I named can do outside of the box seat that doesn't really get noticed might be drawing yeah. two people might be opening up the lane creating different things so but those are just just to let you know those are, you were not in the wrong uh it's not normal you see it in the nba that's why they they pay the max players and those guys are playing whether they're two for 20 two for right. 22 you're, you're not selling out lebron james or those type of guys and when you look at the yearly the top guys it's uh, the same type of format for most teams you know you would see it all the time back in the day when spanulis would maybe be struggling in the panic game and then he would go crazy in the fourth quarter right. and take right. it over and so right. that's the type of stuff that we're used to seeing so you know i think you know i had done an excellent job with you guys throughout the years but i understood the frustration i would have been frustrated in that moment just because not only you know who you are as a player but what you have done for the organization yeah. and lifting right. effort so i feel like when you're a main guy you got to ride with me in the dark or in the light. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's another part of the frustration that, you know, obviously you talk to everybody after the game and it's like, why this, why that? And it's like, I could understand if it was a new coach and he, he hadn't been on that sideline witnessing what has been happening for the last five years. But, you know, I've had games where I had zero points after three quarters and I end with 20. So it's like, he knows I have that inability to kind of, turn it on so for me not even to be able to be out there to have that chance in a game like that um was definitely frustrating so i mean it is what it is now but it was definitely frustrating then. as we spoke with eric before the podcast i mean now we're speaking about those communication things that coach should be communicating communicating with players more team maybe in general should be something closer to a family coach should should not you know overload players with tactical adjustments, but should still make some tweaks. And sometimes it feels like Coach Ataman does a lot of things opposite as we understand as a perfect coach, right? So how would you explain what makes Ataman special and successful? Not, not special, successful, because he's a back-to-back -back champ. He had a lit chance of, uh, you know, winning a, a three-peat. He had a lot of success in Turkey, in EuroCup, EuroCup champion with Eric and Galatasaray. What makes him successful? What's the main uh, secret of Argon Um I think the best thing that Ottoman does is I think he is a great, I think he understands talent. And I think he, he knows 
his system and he sees guys who can be successful within that system and he brings them there and he kind of just says go and however that happens he kind of tries to form it after that but i think he's a great he has a great eye for talent and for specifically for the talent that he recruits for his system and i think once he gets those pieces in place he kind of allows those guys to kind of just go and then based on the success or the failures of that initial go he kind of forms it after that and um i mean i was with the Memphis for five years and the first season I, i was coming off the bench pretty much all season i was not in the rotation because initially he was like go and i wasn't going the way that i should have been going so at the end of the day he was like all right you're not playing the way that i like you to be playing right now so you're gonna come right over here and sit next to me and we're gonna go with roddy and kruno and and vasa and We'll continue to give you opportunities until you find that. However, if you're not going to be the guy that I want you to be, I'm not going to throw you out there for those 25, 30 minutes. And um, I think eventually, obviously, we we found that rhythm and that that continuity. But I think that's his, his strongest suit is that he he gives players confidence um, in terms of allowing them to be out there. And if you have a longer leash to make those mistakes and kind of work through those things so that um, – you know, once you do find yourself inside that system with those players on that roster, um, you can kind of go out there and be free and, and not play with, you know, that block, that mental block in your mind um, that every single mistake you're going to make, uh, you're going to come out. And that's, Eric could probably tell you, it's only a couple guys on the roster that have that with Audemars. But if you do get that with Audemars and those players are playing at an elite level, um, his teams have that success, which is why he went to chip with Eric and why he's won some championships with, you know, me and Vasa kind of being the head of the the snake the last couple of years. So um, I think that's his, that's what makes him successful. I think that's his, his greatest talent is that. Uh, you hit it right on the head. Um, number one, Ottoman is the best GM in Europe. Um, there's something about how he finds players and can see, like Shane said, how they fit in each system, um, how they're going to fit with his system, how he's going to use them. And he right. gets the max out of him. Like he gets the max out of you because strangely enough, even though he doesn't talk to you much, he doesn't develop a relationship. He's an excellent motivator. He knows how to piss you off um, in, yeah. the, in the worst moments. Uh, exactly. <laughs> whether, exactly. it's, whether it's through the media, whether it's a subtle shot where you have practice after a game and he looks at the score sheet and he goes through the lineup and he says, hmm. Yeah. Everyone is off practice except those guys who play <laughs> right. 23 minutes or less. Guess right. you, look, you look at the lineup. Let's say Eric McCullough had a bad game. He played 22 minutes and 58 seconds. I'm like, yeah. damn, I yeah. have practice. Or Shane Larkin yeah. played 22 yeah. minutes. And you're like, oh, so like he knows how to motivate you. If you're missing game or missing shots in games, um, he'll say practice is over. And then he'll say, um, Everyone could go home except for right. Shane and Eric. <laughs> you have to get 200 mix. Right. And you're yeah. looking like, oh, because because you were 0 for 6 last game. And you're just yeah. like, <laughs> like, so like yeah. what I will say, he's an excellent GM. He can assemble the team. He's a master, a motivator, and manipulator. And he doesn't care to be the bad guy. Like he'll say right. something, kiss you off. And he knows if he knows your character or knows enough about you, he knows how you respond. He knows if he says something about a player in the media, you know, 
he says something about Will, Will's going to be like, what? Okay. Right. I'm going to go show right. you. Shane's going to be like, I'm going right. to show you. Same way. I'm, right. Okay. I'm going to show you. I'm going to shut you up. And he knows that about those players. So that's what makes him special. And then that freedom. When you're the main guy or the main top three guys and you're one of the most paid on the team, he's going to allow you to be yourself. Shane was excellent in Basconia, but the level he got to at FSU right. was something different. You know, all throughout yeah. Europe, I was excellent too. But the level I got to with him to win that championship and then they carried, that was something different. I mean, Vasa, as Zagiris, you know, he was okay. He was more of a defensive guard. People questioned yeah. if he could run the offense. He got to FSU. Different guy, score, off the dribble, pick and roll, creation. I was impressed extremely. Uh, so you look at these guys, and he's really good with guards and getting the most out of them. And I think you're going to see it with Jerry and Grant. I think you're going to see him really make some noise this year. So Lucas obviously is a guy who you know does good throughout the years. So I don't think that will be a surprise to see him playing well. But that's what he does. He's a, a guard whisperer when it comes to getting guys who can play at a high level, who can create their own offense. And letting it rock. Right. Yeah. 100%. What do you think of Panhaiko's off-season moves? He brought Kostas Lucas, Jerrion Grant, Luca Vildoza, Carl Guy, Yanis Papepetru, uh, Dinos Mitoglu, Kostas Antetokounmpo, Matias Lezort. And I, from what I hear, they're like still one or two moves away from completing the roster. And they might be some some you know big names, uh, big players. Does does this team has in ingredients to be successful, particularly Ataman's team? And if they're finally after all those years, they're ready to to match Olympiakos' dominance in the Greek league and maybe to challenge their dominance in the uh, Greek league. One thing is missing. He has the guards. He has the fan support. He has the budget. He has the tradition, the power, the team with respect. It's the shooting at the big position. Uh, what made him so successful um, those years in Ephesus is he always had a five spacer, someone to keep the paint open so that yeah. Shane and Vasa could get in there and could create. There's a pick and pop action. You can't be too aggressive on the pick and hedge or trap because if you do, Tibor Plyce can pop and kill you from that jumper, from that mid range, from that three. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you look back before that, it was um, Sonali, uh, Sertaj Sonali. Uh, who was at Barcelona, he was a guy that destroyed teams, you know, in that pick and yeah. pop. Adam's offense is predicated on a four-man that can shoot the skin off the ball and a five-man who can stretch the defense. Right now, they're missing that four-man shooter and that five-man pop guy. Until they get that, his offense will not thrive because there will be no space for the guards to create and people will be able to be aggressive on those screens um, or pack the paint in certain opportunities when they have. So I need to see yeah. that four and five that can shoot get signed and vent then I'll think that they're, they're ready to take that leap and they'd be um, a contender for the playoffs. And yeah. to be honest, uh, just make it short, I was surprised that he didn't bring Mike Toby. When he was available on the market, I thought that Mike Toby could be a perfect piece yeah. for Ataman's center lineup. So I was surprised to see Toby going to Restar, not to Panathinaikos. And from the current market, looking at centers who can stretch the floor, the short, uh, the list is not too long, so they they might they might need to be creative with, with those uh, big men who can uh, stretch the floor, and it might be not easy. But since Panthinaikos is willing to open their wallet, you know they still might mm -hmm. find some good 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 solutions. Yeah, um, I mean, I think Eric hit it on the head. I think 
being able to find that spacing at the big position with the four and five allows those guards to be able to, you know, have the space to get downhill and drive and kick in and uh, kick and pass out to the three point line to whoever's out there. And that's what made our offense so so dangerous over the last five years, having five guys on the floor who can shoot at all times because you don't really know where to help from. Um, so I think they definitely have a great influx of talent. Um, obviously, Adam Slukas, Bildoza, Grant, and uh, Kyle Guy. Um, I think those guards are, are more quality that they've had than they've had over the last few seasons. Um, not saying those guys are bad players. I just think as a whole collective, um, I think they have a, a better group at the guard position. I think Lasort gives them something uh, similar to what they had last year with Papianis, but just a different different kind of like beast kind of like energy, um, which he would definitely play with the fans, play up that energy in the building. Um, so they have a lot of the pieces that they need. Um, but I think, like Eric said, we just have to add that that shooting from the big spot. And uh, once they do that, I think, you know, they have a, a great opportunity to, um, you know, make some noise. I think for them, I think Grant and Kyle Guy have to make big jumps um, because, you know, I think Kyle Guy's – I'm just comparing them to, like, kind of what we we looked like over the last five years that's all I have to compare it to. Um you know, I think Slukas, pick and roll heavy, very talented in the pick and roll. You saw how he, you know, played really well in the playoff all the way into the final game. Um, you know, uh, Vildoza's had success. You know, he was really good at Red Star before uh, Campazzo got there this year. He really had them starting to go. And then when they added Campazzo, they obviously, you know, got much better. Um, but I think those guys are kind of who they are. And, you know, they may take a jump and they may take another step. But I think Slukas at his age is kind of who he's going to be. So those that might take that jump, but I think you need Grant or Guy to make, take that next step. You know, Grant was in Milan, didn't really get a great opportunity, takes a lesser role, uh, not a lesser role, but lesser job at Telecom, has an unbelievable season, um, you know, plays really well and then gets himself back to the EuroLeague with momentum. I think Guy had a great year in, in Badalona. Uh, so, you know, if those guys can take that jump this year and I think Kyle Guy can be similar to like what Roddy was for us. Um you know, if, if they can take that jump and, you know, go to that next level, um, I think, you know, they'll be very, very competitive every single night. And, um, you know, in terms of the playoff, there's 10 spots now. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to be one of, <laughs> one of thin. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I think they're, they're a few pieces away from being exactly what they need to be, but they're definitely on the way. Yeah, the, the best part is that I mean, this Greek derby is going to be very interesting. And the best part is that EuroLeague announced the schedule, uh, which will put, which which will make Olympiakos and Panathinaikos game in round one. Yeah. Uh, I love this move a lot. I mean, you start the season with a, with a bang, and especially with the turbulent summer that both teams had. All all love and all respect to Serbian derby of Partizan and Zvezda. This is something that we're all gonna tune in on on Euroleague TV at the start of the season, and the best Definitely. part is that you kind of still, you know, keep this intrigue for the remainder part of the season when Slukas will visit Olympiakos gym. That's gonna be another, you know, huge game. So it's it was smart to put this first game in Oaxaca, and I believe that this this one, I mean, a lot of basketball fans and a lot of basketball people will mark red on their calendars, and I just thought Shane, do you have? something like games you mark in the calendar do you have your most anticipated anticipating uh, anticipated game for the upcoming season um 
I mean, everybody wants me to say Panna, right? That's what everybody would like me to say. <laughs> um, so I guess if you could say one, just to play against Coach after being with him for so long, that'll be fun. That'll be exciting. Um, just to see what what he's going to do. You know, he was on this side of it for so long, and I'm sure he saw how people started defend defending us over the last couple of years. So just to see, like, what kind of plays he's going to run, what kind of system he's going to run defensively, how he's going to go at us offensively, what they're going to run against us. Um, I think it'll be fun and exciting just to, to be on the other side of it for once. Um, so if there's any game, you know, I, I guess it'll be that one. But, you know, I, I got the whole season circled, to be honest, because I just felt like last year just wasn't me at all. So I got the whole season scheduled, if, if I'm being honest. And I have a guess that Will, Will marked Fenerbahce games. Red with his calendar, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, can you expand on 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 him facing Fenerbahce and all these things that um, surrounds him? Will is a, a special character, man, and um, he thrives. He thrives in those moments. He it, it helps him, you know. It helps him go. Um, so that that's really all it is, you know. He has a lot of love and respect for for Fener and their fans and all that, but just that. You know, those things that you do to try to kind of set yourself off. Um, I think Will is kind of doing that with Finner and being inside that intense kind of rivalry, which he has not had in his career. Um, you know, being in Seska, like, who's your rival in, in Cheska? Like, I don't think there is that basketball culture where, you know, those emotions get involved um, in Russia. Although it's great basketball, a lot of talent. I just don't think those raw emotions are there. And I think, you know... The Serbian Derby, the Greek Derby, and now what Ephes and Finner is kind of turning into with all the success we've had over the last few years, for him to be a part of that, I think, you know, just, you know, doing the back and forth and going at it with fans and just, you know, trolling them on social medias and stuff like that, I think it's just a way to get himself going and motivate himself more in those games because those games are more than just win or loss. You know, those are like, you know, just so much more important than just a win in the or loss in the in the win or loss column. So I think that's all he's doing. And um, you know, hopefully he has a whole season circled as well because we were talking about it and that was the first time we both missed the playoffs in uh, in our yearly career. So uh, I think we're both coming back with um you know a vengeance for, for next season. Yeah, I saw them on Instagram. He tweeted, he's locked in July 11th. You said already? Yeah. <laughs> already. <laughs> already? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it'll be uh, fun, man. Guys, Kostas Lukas' move to Pana was probably the second most shocking move uh, after Spanulis switched sides from Panaikos to Olympiakos like many years ago. Uh, and we are on the verge of having another transfer bomb this summer. It's it's not official yet, and anything can happen, but let's say Nikola Mirotic joins Partizan. And I have a question for Eric. Does Nikola Mirotic signing makes Partizan a title contender? And that would be a, probably a question for both. If if we actually have any favorites in the EuroLeague, is, isn't it like we have like eight or ten title contenders with the way how off-season goes and the way teams are so equal. They were so equal, it was a historically equal race already last year, but I can't wait for a number for, for the upcoming season. Before I Eric that, answers that, I want, I want to ask you. I want you to answer that first. <laughs> Who would you be, if going into next season, 
there's been so much turnaround in your league. Going into next season, who would you say are the final four teams? You have to you have to say four. You have to say four. Who would you say? I can't. I can't name it's four. Tough, right? I can name eight or ten teams. Exactly. Uh, we exactly. had the same question in the previous spot, and I was like, "There's no lock. Yeah. There's no final four lock." Some yeah. might say that maybe Real Madrid because of the continuity. I think you have to say that. Yeah. You got to say that. Yeah. You have to. You, have you know, to say you know how Campazzo fits. You know how he fits yeah. there. He yeah, takes exactly. the bars to another level. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, other so. than that, I remember I told uh, last year I said that Milan and FS they're final four locks for sure. So <laughs> my take, yeah. you know, aged badly. So yeah. I'm not taking those those takes anymore. <laughs> Maybe Real Madrid and others. It's an open race. Yeah. Mm. All right, my bad. All right, my bad, Eric. <laughs> that's a good question. No, harping on that. That's, that's tough, but I think there's no guarantee just because um, the balance in the yearly. Um, the gap is closing, um, a lot of turnover, a lot of changes. We know how players look on their old teams. We haven't yet seen how they're going to look on their new team and a new system surrounded by new cast of players. So it makes it tough. But with that said, if I had to guess, I'm for sure I'm putting Madrid in there just because you know, it's a Devaris factor. You know, obviously he has the, you know, be there under center. Um, you know, they're bringing back the core, the main pieces, adding Composite, they're there. I, I do believe. I don't know which one, but I think FS or Finner will make the final four. I don't know which one, but I think one of those two teams, I mean, Finner was all new last year. Now they're going to all be in the second year of the system. Um, guys are going to know what the two this wants. They're adjusting. They'll be there. FS has a new coach, but they have their core returning. So all those guys know how to play together. Everyone will adjust accordingly. People know their roles. It will be easier fit, even though it's a new coach. Um, Partizan, I, I do like Miritich there. I think um, he gives them that space and that shooting, the ability to play the four and a five. I wish Barcelona would have paid him more as a five as well. I think it's an ultimate mismatch. Um, the way he can stretch the floor, he has the size. He played some five and four in the lead, um, but it seems like they use him strictly as a four. I'd love to see him and Punter in the pick and pop situations in that middle pick and roll. Uh, I think that could be special. Um, I'd like to see um, Zach Lede sometimes playing a five and Miritich at the four. Just Little tweaks and stuff. I'm sure Abravich has lots of stuff put together, but I don't quite know um, if they're a Final Four team just because, um, you know, the, the point guard play. Um, you know, it was something that, you know, they didn't have last year and they were able to kind of get through to get hot at the right time. You know, they were just – they had hoopers. They didn't really have a point guard or somebody to kind of, you know, man the team, get everybody in their spots. And with XM leaving, um, with Yam Mater going to Finner – I'm wondering who's going to be that guy to kind of direct traffic, to kind of make sure Punter gets the ball, to make sure if Miritich signs it, make sure he gets his touches. There has to be someone who's willing to sacrifice and run the team. And it can't be all people who want to go get buckets. It's just not going to work. So I think they're going to look, they're going to find somebody, you know, they have to. Um, and, you know, Serbian teams, you know, I've hit the lottery. They found a lot of money lately. So I'm sure it won't be an issue. Uh, but I think um, if I had to say, oh, a uh, fourth team that I think is in the mix. Um, maybe Maccabi. Maybe they'll be ready to make that leap. Um, I felt like they were right there. Last year, they're returning the whole core. They did a good job of signing everybody back. Only problem is they got to get a little bit better defensively. They're really good offensively. They get up and down. But defensively, I feel like they give up too many easy baskets, too many points. And I know they just want to outscore you. But, you know, to make that final four, you're going to have to guard. Even in Ephesus, you know, there was an offensive power 
when the money was on the line, when things mattered, you know, they turned up on defense in the playoffs. Maybe in the regular season, they relaxed. You know, they just outscore you. But in the playoffs, you would start to see them be able to to hone in, to defend, to do different things defensively. So I think those are the the top teams I would say for me. You know, we'll see how it plays out. But FS, Finner. Hey, so react. you're not going to throw Monaco in there? They were just in the four. They were just I do in like, the final four. But I had they to pick four. I, I could only same pick team. four. I like I Monaco. Agree. I like Monaco. Uh, if I had a top five, they're in there for sure. Uh, yeah. I, anytime you have a player like Mike, um, you resign your whole core. Um, you keep the same coaching staff. I mean, they have everything. Only thing that they're missing is that fan support that those other teams True have. That. True you know, Finner's going to pack the gym. You know, now you guys yeah. pack the gym in your league. They don't really come in Turkish league, but they pack yeah. the gym in your league. Um, and you look at, you know, those situations, that kind of helps. It influences games. But I, I like Monaco. I had them going to beat Olympiacos and everything. And, yeah. uh, I was, I was, just didn't happen, but they're right there. They're right there. Yeah. And I think um, their lack of shooting at the four and five position is what gives me pause. That's the only thing right. I don't like. And this was hurt them the last couple of years um, in the money time. True. True that. True. I agree. I mean, if Miritich goes to, you know, Partizan, obviously, I think he's probably been the most consistent you know, player uh, in the EuroLeague over the last four or five years. I think he's always around, you know, 17 points, 20 PIR, you know. He's always kind of right around there. And um, I think him going to somebody like Abradovic is just going to – that's like clockwork. I think they're going to be able to figure that out very easily. And um, he's going to be able to find the ways to put him in spaces, similar to how, you know, they had him in Barcelona where he can be extremely successful. Um, but like, you know, Eric said, I think they do need to find that point guard in order to help them. But, um, you know, I think bringing punter back, um, the only thing like that, I think Latour was like the heart of that team. That's the one thing that I question. Like, I think punter was like the guy. He is the guy. He deserves to be the guy. He's shown that he can be the guy, the big shots down the stretch. You know, he's risen to, you know, be one of the top players in the league. No doubt about it. Um, I just feel like Latour was that that connection between them and the fans that it just happened seamlessly. And I think uh, they still will have that. They have amazing fans um, and they still will have that crazy fan base there. And obviously bringing a, a player of Miritich caliber there, if he does go there, will, will obviously help them um, kind of make up for the lack of not having Exum and, and some of those guys. But um, I think you have to see who else they sign in order to call them, you know, you know, championship contenders right now. I think they're right there. They just need to figure out who their point guard is going to be. And I think, you know, they're well on their way. Um, and in terms of the final four and, and trying to pick those teams, you know, uh, that's tough. If I, excluding efforts, let's just say I don't go efforts because I'm there. Uh, I think you have to say Madrid. And then it really is a toss up. It really is a toss up. I think Maccabi is right there. Monaco's right there. Um, Finner obviously is right there. So I think it, it'll be interesting outside of that to see who, you know, who takes that jump and, and puts himself kind of what Maccabi did this year. You know, Maccabi wasn't necessarily, everybody didn't necessarily think of Maccabi as a team that was going to go to the final four this year. And then, you know, they're one game away from it. So it'll be interesting to see which team takes that jump um, this year. And um, it, it's definitely w more wide open than it's ever been since I've been here. Like there's, there's definitely more, opportunity to somebody to come in and surprise people this year. 
throughout this whole conversation, mentioning so many good teams, you didn't mention Zvezda. Uh, they made a lot of moves. Uh, and I want you guys to finish this sentence. To play against this Zvezda team with Teodosic, Shabazz Napier, Jago Dos Santos, Nemanja Nedovic, Branko Lajic, Rokas Gedraitis, Adam Hanga, Luka Mitrovic, Mike Toby, Joel Bolomboy, uh, Nick Popovic, Marko Simonovic, will be like... One word will be... I, I would say interesting because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, that's eight new players. Like, yeah, you don't least. know how that's, you know, so you don't know how how they're going to fit and, and how they're going to gel. But in terms of talent, I mean, they're right there with anybody. You can't, you know, look at their roster and look somewhere else and say that team's way more talented than them because I think they did a great job of bringing in veteran guys that know what it takes to get over the hemp. And then they also have that young influx of young guys that are hungry to prove that they are willing to are ready to make that jump and, and, you know, perform at a high level in the year league. So um, I would say interesting. I don't know what other word I would use for them, but they definitely have the talent. They definitely will have the fan support. And um, obviously they have a coach that has, you know, has a track record of going in and, and cleaning things up and, and getting teams to win. So um uh, they'll be definitely an interesting team to watch and see how they how they develop as a, as the season goes along. Yeah, I think um, maybe energetic is what I use for them. I think they have um, a, at home they'll be electric. They'll be really yeah. good. They'll bring it. Not sure how they'll be on the road. Um, I think you'll see some ups and downs in this season just based on their coach. Um, he's a good coach, but his practices are brutal. Um, you know, he really um, tests you mentally and physically, and I'm wondering. Can Milos get through that all season, playing in the year lead, playing in Asiatic lead, having those tough practices? This is my question, coach. though. I don't mean to interrupt you, bro. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way he signs there if there's not a conversation before that. Yeah. There's yeah, no I, way. I, I'm a hard worker, but man, I heard about yeah. his practices. I heard bro. about <laughs> how things go there. Um, yeah. It's, I, yeah. I, I, that's not a place a lot of players desire. Um, his preseasons right. are brutal. Uh, so, right. so I'm right. wondering the way he, you know, he does have guys prepared. He does take them to another level. The question is, can you stay healthy? Like that's the hardest thing. You're going to be in your best shape of your life. Yeah. You're going to be out there flying on the court, playing fast. You're going to be playing great. It's just, can you stay healthy? I love Shabazz there. Um, his creation, the way he scores, he runs a team, he defends. I think they have the makings of something special. They lack a, a true score. They need someone who can go get a bucket, who can create something out of nothing. When the offense is stagnant, when the plays aren't working, um, that's what they need. And I think um, especially when you have a team with so many new players, um, no stability yet, um, no roles developed, no one knows where they fit in. Everyone's going to be trying to grab a piece of pizza, right? And there's only so many slices. So yeah. I'm wondering. Who's going to be left without how that affects the team? You know, are everybody going to be happy with the size of their piece? And that's what determines, you know, how teams adjust, how they fit. Usually teams with so many changes struggle early in the year lead, and then they come on strong um, later in the year. As you start to see with some of those guys and some of those teams who added players late, they started to kind of turn it on late and, you know, make a run and make a playoff push. Some didn't make it, but, you know, you've seen it with Valencia start to, you know, try to turn it on Red Star, all those teams trying to, get close to the to the eighth spot. So for me, I think there's still, you know, 
mean, now with the play-in, they have a chance. But if it was the old top eight format, I would think they're barely on the outside looking in um, just because the yearly is, is so tough and everyone's bringing back the core. And I don't believe Red Star has a core. That's my only pause there. So it's not a, and I don't think they're talented. They are extremely, but I just think a lot of other teams are a little bit more talented. And Eric, I have, I had a question for you. Uh, since they got Shabazz Napier, the top 10 scorer in the EuroLeague from the last season, since they already have, uh, from the last year, Nemanja Nedovic, top 15 scorer in the EuroLeague, Iago Dos Santos, top 20 best scorer in Germany, and Milos Teodosic, of course, the maestro of, of basketball in Europe. Do you, do you think that they're, they have bigger upside offensively than the last year's team with Campaso and Vildoza? How would you compare their, uh, you know, offensive strength? And Campazzo gets after the ball. Um, he's going to press full court. He's extremely yeah. fast laterally. He can kind of like take guards out of what they're comfortable doing. Um, I don't think they have that. I think Shabazz is a solid defender, but he's not going to guard 94 feet and dictate the offense, play 28, 29 minutes, average 15 to 16 points, five, six. I mean, it's just not possible. Um, you got to be a, a machine to do that and then practice with that coach. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. I think he'll be a great player. He'll play well, but I think defensively, um, they'll take a drop in the backcourt. I mean, you're going to have Milos out there, you know, who's going to preserve himself for offense. He's probably going to be in that 18 to 22 minute range. I can't imagine him pressing the ball, denying, you know, he's probably going to try to find him on the worst, you know, offensive player, um, so that he can be special offensively. That's what he does. Um, and then Shabazz can guard, but, you know, Red Star is a team that likes to, press they like to be physical they like to change the game and that mentality is bred in the serbian players um young serbian players so when you play the experienced guys netovic isn't present full court uh milo's not present full court like it takes away from their identity so i'm sure they can sub and play those guys but you bring in milo shabrung and shabazz are going to play heavy minutes so i think now this is a year you're going to see them transfer um to more of an offensive team, which is something you don't really see in Red Star as a Serbian team. They're a team that usually struggles to find points, and they usually are one of the best defensive teams um, in the yearly. And I don't know if that's just because of their pressure or their lack of pace and their patience on offense because they can't find early shots in offense. So, But I think you'll see um, maybe a tie turn there and Serbia start to look for a little bit more offense. Guys, we mentioned a lot of big names in this podcast. Slukas, uh, Mirotic, Shane, Will, a lot of EuroLeague stars. There was a lot of movement during this offseason, but what would be your the most underrated move of the EuroLeague offseason so far? Underrated move? Mm. For, me, for me, I'll say it's probably something that people aren't going to consider, but it's underrated. It's something you don't expect. I think Carson Edwards going to Munich. I think he can play. I, I've seen his talent. A lot of people don't know. They probably question, but I mean, he can score. He's fast. He's quick. He's strong. He's explosive. He can shoot it with range off the bounce, catch and shoot. He gets to the hole, finishes left or right. He reminds me a lot of, of Shane, you know, and you know, you see those similarities. I'm thinking Munich is a chance he's going to get to show himself. I feel like there should have been more minutes for him in Finner. Felt like he was not yeah. utilized properly. And when he did get opportunities, he showed what he could do um, in the crunch time. That showed me that the coaches knew what he was capable of. In elimination games and do or die series against Olympiacos, they trusted him. Um, I'm thinking he's going to take a leap. This is what 
was his first year in Europe. He's adjusting not only to the style of play, but being away from home, seeing how things work here. Expect a big leap from him and expect him to make some noise in Munich and, you know, probably to return to the top ranks or the top yearly teams next year after a, a dominant year. You know, he'll be a top five or four scorer. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, I would say more so Lasso to, to Bayern was probably the most underrated move because I think he's going to go there and implement his system that had been so successful in, you know, Madrid for so many years. And um, having a guy like that, Carson, uh, to be able to, you know, go there and have the opportunity to be exactly who he wants to be is exactly what um, he needed, I think. So I think he's definitely going to have the opportunity to go there and have a big year. And, and I can definitely get behind that being probably one of the most underrated uh, signings of the summer. Yeah, well, you Carson is a good pick. Carson is a good pick. Uh, and Who's yours? I, Who's yours? I also had Carson on my list, but I have I want to be original as well uh, to to put another way, uh, name, and I really liked James Webb signing by Maccabi Tel Aviv. Mm, in in the player. market where it was really tough to find a good foreman who can stretch the ball who can also play a lot of off-ball for their great backcourt of Wade Bolden, Lorenzo Brown, and whoever going to uh, join them uh, as well. I really like James Webb. I think that Maccabi made a steal uh, in my eyes. Uh, great off-ball player. He was averaging like 8 points, 4 rebound, uh, rebounds, and 38% of three-point shooting. Uh, 41% of his points in catch-and-shoot situations. A lot of points from cuts, putbacks. That's something what Maccabi really needed. Uh, it's going to be his sophomore year in EuroLeague, so you can expect that he's going to be more matured, more polished, and will help Maccabi even more than he did in Valencia. And I already lo loved what he did in Valencia. So uh, he turns 30, so he's at his peak. Uh, he should be really nice fit to Maccabi. Yeah, I like what Maccabi's done. I think Maccabi... Took a step last year, and I think, you know, with some of the signings they've done, bringing back Nebo is big for them, I think. Um, so I think they definitely have done a great job this summer and, and you know, fine-tuning their their roster and, and seeing what they could do next year. And just a very last question I had uh, to both of you. Uh, NBA introduced in-season tournament format a week ago or something. And since you've been of both sides and the idea was to bring some, you know, European football spirit to the NBA game, how do you feel about the format they presented? Don't you find it too confusing? Because me as a European, I really felt weird about them playing something like groups. I mean, I don't even understand old. what they're doing it for. Like, what is the purpose? Why are they doing it? Just for what? To give a chance yeah. for smaller market teams or just smaller teams in general to win some trophy during the season, but what does it really change? Yeah, exactly. I think, I I think it's for money, like for ratings, uh, to create more games, more TV streams, uh, more do-or-die scenarios. I think they're trying to do it to keep the ratings high and to give a different flair. The NBA is constantly trying to be innovative uh, and trying yeah. to do things new, but I don't think it's necessary. I think the NBA brand speaks for itself, but right. it, it's going to be very confusing for fans because they're not used to this type of format like like we have in Europe. 
Like, I would have put a game in, like, how they've been having game in London, Paris, or what. I would just continue to put more games in Europe as opposed to an in-season tournament that I don't think, you know, I know a lot of guys in the league. I don't think they're going to be so, like, motivated to, oh, we got to win this tournament, you know? Like, I think they're just going to look at it like, all right, well, we got to go play this, so let's go play and see what happens. Because, like, the monetary incentive, they're all making good money, so, like, Sure, it's going to be more money that you could win with the situation, but I just don't see the overall landscape of what it does to push the game or push the brand further. I just don't. I didn't get it, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. It could end up being, you know, exciting, and we'll see. I think it gives something extra to the fans, but fans like to see more games. They like to see people in clutch situations. But like yeah. you said, guys are making fifty, sixty million a year to make five to six hundred thousand net because you know it's one million. Right. we have big taxes in the u.s so right. five hundred thousand right. is not going to move a guy making 40 50 million you might see young players rookies bench guys two-way right. guys those guys will be extremely motivated and excited but the guy who makes 30 million off the court right he's playing just because he enjoys basketball at this point like it's not going to be like oh i need an extra five hundred thousand which is a lot of money don't get me wrong but right. in yeah. the grand scheme of things when you have a 200 million dollar plus contract uh, five hundred thousand is just a drop in a bucket. Right, exactly. Yeah, so. I, mean, I mean, what NBA does really good is how they keep the focus of the NBA fan basically through the whole calendar year. I mean, every two three months they have something big. There's the start of the NBA season. There was Christmas games, All Star game, trade deadline, end of the regular season, playing tournament, playoffs, NBA finals, then uh, NBA draft start of the free agency, summer league. And it felt like there was this, let's say, small gap in the beginning of December when everybody gonna be, you know, cool about the start of the season. Maybe they're gonna try to find some, for some new ways, you know, how to be entertained more. And maybe that's what NBA tried to do, you know, to bring some more excitement uh, at the beginning of this December. But maybe there were better ways, let's say, to bring that excitement rather than yeah. this confusing NBA in season tournament and the format they introduced. I really thought that it was going to be shorter, more clear, like eight teams going to Vegas or something, you know, to, to, to play two free games and to win the title and that's it. And now they have these group games, uh, Tuesday tournament nights, Friday or Thursday tournament nights as well. I mean, it just it's just very confusing. Not sure if NBA fans can keep uh, with this stuff up. Yeah, it's very confusing. And like I said, I don't I don't see guys in the league being so bought into it. They're like, we must we must win these games because we have to win this tournament. I don't think there's enough incentive um, on the side of those guys to you know have them care that much about winning this game, even if it does come down to the last few seconds or whatever and it's an exciting basketball game i don't think there's much difference between that and uh and a regular season game for for those guys mentally because like eric said five hundred thousand to you know guys on those teams that are making 40 50 million and those salaries are only going to continue to rise i don't think what i, I don't know what this what this does for them so like in europe is different like you win a, a, a cup it's important like we want we want a cup we want all the cups this year it's important but in the NBA, I just think there's one cup that you want to get, and it's the championship at the end of the year. So, 
Yeah. yeah. I think so much emphasis has put been put on those finals, the NBA finals, that no one will take this tournament seriously. I think it doesn't enhance right. their legacies, their Hall of Fame exactly. credentials, their value. So that's where you're kind of going to lose the public and the players because it doesn't have that symbolization of the NBA finals, you know, like, right. it's just not the same. Okay, guys, it was a pleasant time for uh, together with you. In Lithuania, it's already half past 12, it's midnight, but I have to admit it, it was worth it. And it was worth <laughs> the wait of, of this crazy sequence of, of, of chains. Unbelievable. Uh, elevator situation, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, tell, just tell your wife for sure, you were on the podcast, she can listen if she doesn't believe us right. because one, one o'clock coming home with a baby is, <laughs> It's kind of late, kind of late tonight. Yeah, exactly. We don't want exactly. <laughs> I feel privileged. <laughs> I feel privileged. That's why I'm doing all these print screens throughout the conversation and just sending my wife that, yeah, I'm doing the podcast, not, nothing more, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> no, it's really big pleasure to, to hear your thoughts, uh, to see how you guys read some situations. And again, my whole idea is that maybe it will help, you know, to broaden the knowledge of European basketball fans and not just fans, but, you know, players and coaches as well, soaking up this whole experience that you guys uh, brought uh, and, and got from the game throughout all these years. So, so yeah, th thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, good time. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on the show, Shane. Thanks for having me, brother. Glad to be here.